Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. Uh, You're invited to go in your Bibles to Acts chapter 15, which is on page 1718. Uh, We're going to be looking at Acts 15, verses 1 through 19, and am I connected here? Yeah, awesome. The title for today is The the Trouble with Change, and as I've alluded already, uh, the change that was supposed to be lived into in Acts 10 and 11 uh, runs into a bit of trouble here in Acts 15. And just to bridge a bit of the gap of what's happened since Acts chapter 11. Uh, So Acts chapter 11 finishes with Gentile believers uh, becoming more and more prominent, particularly in the city of Antioch. Uh, This is up north a little bit and along the coast. And the Christians see this and they want to send someone who is reputable, so they send up Barnabas up there, and Barnabas looks at all the people, all the Christians there, and he's thinking, this is way over my head, I need extra help. And he recruits, a very good recruit, he gets Paul, um, the Apostle Paul, to, to join them, and they work together for an entire year before they go on different missionary journeys. And we're picking up in Acts 15, right when Paul and Barnabas are coming back to Antioch, this place where they have invested in the lives of the believers, and uh, they're not too pleased with, with what they see. So let's open God's word together. Certain individuals came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted, and this news made believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders whom reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, You know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then... Why do you try and test God by putting on the necks of the Gentile believers a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly came silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. 
When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God has first intervened and chose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, after I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. Who does these things? These things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, the trouble with change as uh, the title here. One of, one of the troubles or challenges with change is that it doesn't always stick. I remember living in a house in Vancouver with seven other people. One of the things that uh, w- would keep on coming up was discussions around the kitchen and particularly the sink. It just, dishes would magically pile up and there would be no one that would be accountable to them. So occasionally we would have these house meetings. The meetings were there to bring about change and we would come up with a solution Something like all all dishes have to be cleaned within an hour after making them dirty. Like, it gives them time, you can enjoy your meal, uh, but then the next people that come can also make a meal. The problem seemed to be solved, at least in theory. But But it was never really solved. A day or two would go by and the sink would be full again and frustrations would come and we'd hear this line. I thought we already talked about this. Uh, Change isn't only about the new ideas. It has to be lived out. And our passage must have had a little bit of, I thought we already talked about this, to it. This has already been discussed. Uh, Luke repeats this in um, Acts chapter 10 and 11. That story is told twice reaffirming the fact that Gentiles are fully included into God's people. They made it clear that there was a consensus amongst the leaders that they were to be included. But our passage begins with Christians coming from from Judea to Antioch, telling the Gentile Christians that they need to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, a key part of this for the people in Judea that were going there was their own unwillingness to change. They knew that one of the key features of the church was fellowship, was eating together, meeting together, learning together. That if they were to join in fellowship with the Gentile believers, either the Gentiles would have to change or they would have to change. What's interesting in here is that It wasn't an option for them to form these these different denominations and different separate groups because they knew that would communicate something about the gospel and God's word. From the beginning, that type of separation and segregation was not an option. These two very different cultural groups would have to find a way of being together. Now, the, the solution that the Judean Christians come up with is the Gentile believers have to become like them. Since segregation wasn't an option, it was too hard to change, why not force the others 
to be the ones who change. Now, well, there's, turns out there's a couple of good reasons why not to do that. Uh, we'll look at one of the primary reasons a little bit later, and that is it's adding these things to what brings salvation. Uh, that's one of the points that the apostles make. But we also find that the goal of the church isn't uniformity. It isn't collapsing all people into one simple unit, but is the gathering of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It is the celebration of the diversity that people, uh, that Jesus is Lord over each and every one of us, that he is big enough to bring in all of that diversity into himself and into his body, the church. This means that the people would have to say no to that voice inside themselves that wants to force others like, to be more like them in order to belong. It means that people have to say yes to befriending those who are different from them. Not, not just allowing these people to be present and tolerating their presence, but actually befriending and growing deeper in relationship with those different from us. Recognizing that the church has been woven together in the midst of difference, different cultures, different languages, histories, stories, different hopes, and different dreams. These differences enrich the church community. Now, I think a good case can be made that the invention of cars has been harmful to the advancement of the gospel. The invention of cars being harmful to the advancement of the gospel. Uh, the reason being is that cars have made it very easy to drive wherever we want to for church. We no longer are stuck with having to go to the community that is closest to us. Proximity is hardly even a consideration in choosing a church community. We are free to choose based on our own preferences, finding the people who are already most like us. I wonder what the, the disciples, in reading this passage, what they would think in looking at ourselves and the ease in which we are able to move from church to church. Um, I wonder if we look at our own church, if we look and think, are we doing the hard work of ensuring that this is a place where people from different backgrounds can come and find their belonging? Are we willing to change as people come our way, or are we like the Judean brothers and sisters, willing to welcome anybody in so long as they are able to become a little bit more like us? Now, if the car makes living in diversity a little more challenging, I think live stream and the use of online engagement has the potential to do something similar. There's this increased ability to pick and choose our communities, our teachings, the worship styles, the things that just suit us. And that's not to say that it's a, a bad thing. We're, we're very glad to have people joining us online, uh, but there's a caution that we have in it. And one of the other cautions isn't just that we get our own preferences when we can choose which community to be a part of, uh, but it also robs us the chance of getting to connect with others. Um, it, it robs this community of being able to model Christ's love in, 
accepting others in the midst of their diversity and giving up things that we love, things that make us comfortable uh, for the sake of the other. Uh, This way of thinking, of just breaking off into like-minded groups, just didn't compute for the early Christians. The Gentiles were invited in. They had to come to the table together. And we know this challenge of diversity well. Even in the times where there has been more unity in, in cultural backgrounds, there are still challenges that we face regarding different preferences in music, in generational gaps, different gender roles and different expectations. The thing is, this matter of changing for the other person is actually a matter of faithfulness to the gospel. By forcing other people to be like them, we're actually saying something about what the gospel is. And Acts 15 makes that point, uh, specifically looking at verses 10 and 11. Now then, why do you try and test God by putting on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. So the, the, the one group is saying that you have to set up these rules, and, and this is compromising the gospel message. They give the, the metaphor of, of adding a yoke, that they, this was adding this extra pressure that these people were being forced to carry, and that this was inconsistent with what they believed about the sufficiency of the salvation that Jesus offered. The response from the, um, from the apostles and those who had spent time with Jesus was basically, don't fool yourself into thinking that you're accepted into Jesus because of how well you're fulfilling the law. Don't you remember our story? Look back at Israel. At what point did we ever follow the law perfectly? Whenever we tried, we just showed ourselves to be utter failures. We're no different from the people that came before us. It's not anything special in our our following of the law that earned us salvation, but it is Jesus who saves. They make that sharp distinction at that end here. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Uh, This emphasis of being saved by Jesus and by God's grace alone is one that is firm in the Reformed tradition Uh, This line actually reminds me of much of what we find in the Heidelberg Catechism. The same emphasis comes over and over again. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, for those that aren't familiar with it, this is a document from about four, a little over 400 years ago that summarizes a lot of the Christian teachings. One example that I'll point us towards is the, the question and answer that it has on what is true faith. And its its answer, it's brief, but it makes sure to point again and again that it is God's work. In its response for what true faith is, it says, true faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture, 
It is also a wholehearted trust, which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted, not only to others, but to me also, forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. Uh, so one of the things, or the first thing that I want to point out here is the, the catechism's agreement with Luke of the importance, the, the primacy of the Holy Spirit in our faith. The Holy Spirit is what creates this faith and this assurance. It also reminds us how our true faith is rooted in God's work. And the same thing that we saw in our passage, this whole emphasis on the forgiveness of sins and eternal life, the salvation that is found in Jesus, that it is solely by Christ's merit. They add that word solely in there, that we can't add anything to it to merit and to earn our salvation. And they do this because we have this temptation, I think, built within us. We have this temptation to try earn our salvation, or we, we show ourselves that we don't really understand grace that well, that we can't accept how big God's grace actually is, because we want to be able to, to earn it, that, that we are able to do something. And we need these reminders that is just on Christ's merit, or as our passage puts it, it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. So again, as we reflect, in what ways um, might we actually be denying the gospel? Do we add extra requirements to what Jesus has done because we're unable to recognize the breadth of God's grace. Uh, the last thing that I want to say about change involves bringing up a drawing that I did. Now, I did this over 10 years ago, so it's not quite the quality of my more recent drawings. It was done on a little tiny trackpad, mind you, so just keep that in mind. Um, I did these during college, um, CBC actually, this is probably from my second year. John didn't want to accept the money. He had never accepted money from anyone before, and quite frankly, he was afraid of change. <laughs> ah. I assume the people that aren't laughing are at least smiling or just in pure glee behind your masks. Now. I bring this up uh, because our passage is about change and something that change, uh, that's renowned about with change is that it can be scary. We can have this fear that change in itself is wrong or the fear that that change can lead us into some place unknown. Perhaps the problem with change is also that it can actually make us quite uncomfortable. I think we should at least be able to be sympathetic with these people from Judea that go up to Antioch. They were being asked to sacrifice 
something that made them feel safe, the, the keeping of the law, having things like circumcision and the dietary laws. It, it gave them comforting reminders that they were God's set-apart people. Now, we might be able to identify with them in our resistance to change. And in light of this, I think we need to remind ourselves what the cadets um, have been focusing on this year. That whole theme of God's sovereignty, that God is in control. The line that they were looking at is from Joshua 1 verse 9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Uh, often facing change requires strength and courage. Facing change means that there might be some uncertainty of what's ahead. But we can courageously confront it because we know that we don't come into it alone, that we have a God who is sovereign, a God who is in control, who has gone ahead of us wherever we go. Now, as I was reflecting on this passage, uh, the worship team's invited uh, forward at this point. Um, as I was reflecting and praying on this passage, something stood out to me, and that is that change here is not done on the basis of survival. It's not about being relevant. It's not some sort of church growth program that they're doing here. Change here happens out of faithfulness. As people encounter new situations, they face new questions, incorporate new people into their community, they make adjustments in order to embrace them. They make adjustments that is based on their rootedness in a God whose sovereignty and grace stays the same. So a reminder that I want to leave us with here is from Hebrews 13, verse 8, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it's the midst of some of these changes that we might see around us, that we recognize that Jesus is the unchanging one, the Lord over all, over every culture, every era of time, every generation. This means that as different generations come up, as cultures change and evolve, we'll find that Jesus is Lord over all there as well. And this might involve some changes in how we look, in the things that we do, but this is not because Jesus is changing, but how dynamic Jesus' truth is. It's big enough to be spoken into the new ways and into every new situation. So we can carry this knowledge into the future, that we have the same call to be strong and courageous. We are called to live into the same words spoken by Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Lord, in the times that we are fearful of the changes we see around us, may we be reminded that nothing takes you by surprise. Give us the confidence as we face changes in the culture and changes in the community around us that your unchanging truth is more than sufficient to provide answers to the new questions we may be asking. 
Give us a firm resolve that segregation has no place in our community, that we are meant to cross the barriers that our culture may put up, whether it's generational differences, matters of taste, or cultural differences. May our encounter with others who are different help us to see the depth of your goodness. May it uncover new layers of your truth that we have not considered before. In the places where change is hard, give the courage to face it, the willingness to sacrifice for the other, that we may be a richer community that reflects the diversity of your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.